to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Well, I want you to stay on your feet. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. And I want to uh, preach from the book of Acts today. A message that I've entitled, The Road to Heaven is Paved with Tribulation. The Road to Heaven is Paved with Tribulation, Acts chapter 14. And uh, and I really believe this message is going to help some people today. I really do. And so I'm excited to, to preach it, bring it to you today. Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 19. Uh, this is a story about the Apostle Paul, and here's how it reads. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. That sounds like trouble, doesn't it? That's bad trouble. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. So either he died and God resurrected him, or he was almost dead. And I assume they prayed for him as they gathered around him and God touched him. And, rose, and raised him up. So that's great. Funny part of that story is he went back into the city. The whole city just stoned him, and then he went back into the city. Is he a glutton for punishment or just being dumb? See, preachers, we see things in the Bible that sometimes maybe y'all don't see. It's like, what are you doing, Paul? You should go the other way. That away, away from the city. But he goes back in the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city... And being many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now notice this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. That's very important, and I'm going to preach that in just a minute. Continue in the faith. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop believing. Don't let go of your confidence in God. Continue in the faith. And this is the part that I want you to notice. And saying, and I've highlighted this in my electronic Bible, we must through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. So I want to talk about troubles and tribulations and how to deal with them, but I want to start with something more positive. So many wonderful, wonderful things happen to you when you get saved. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is that you become a child of God. Isn't it something that God would save you, change you, and then adopt you as his own daughter. You are looking today at a son of God. I'm God's son. If you're a man and you're saved, you're God's son. If you're a woman and you're saved, you're God's daughter. We're the children of God. That's the way God looks. The way I look at my children, I think, is the way God looks at you and he looks at me. That's pretty amazing. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God. So think about that. God lives in you. That's something that should blow your mind. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, which is the official record of heaven. I mean, if anybody doubts, we've got documentation that you're on your way to heaven and that you belong to Jesus. doesn't matter what anybody else says. God has it written down. When you get saved, you're a recipient of peace and joy and love. You get divine help when you cry out to God and ask him for it. The providential blessings of God are lavished on you daily. You get a constant flow of God's mercy and grace. 
every day, every week, every month, every year. You have divine protection. You don't have to get to heaven to find out all the close calls you had where you could have died or something bad could have happened to you and God kept it from happening. You have comfort and hope and faith and encouragement and when you need it, courage. If you, you, you have access to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and his power. You have authority over the devil. We just sang that. You have the promise of victory. Every battle you fight against the devil, it's a fixed fight. He loses and you win. There are so many wonderful things, and I'm not even beginning to list them all. However, the fact is being saved, being born again, experiencing all of those wonderful things does not exempt you from experiencing trials and sufferings. Paul said in this text that we read, we must through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it's going to happen to you. It must happen. It's inevitable. Trials and troubles for the sake of Christ are part of your journey to heaven. Did you get that? It's part of the journey, okay? And the reason I said that is because God never promised a life without struggle for those of us who are saved. He actually predicted that you would face tough times. And I'm preaching things I've preached before, but that's okay because some of you never heard it. But in John 16, Jesus gives this prediction that I don't particularly care for. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Same thing that Paul said. Same thing. Now, I don't like that promise, okay? Oppression and anguish and squeezing and crushing and, and adversity. That's what that word means. But let me preach the rest of the verse. Jesus said, you're gonna have it but it's okay, be of good cheer, cheer up, put a smile on your face, I have overcome the world. And so if I have overcome the world, then whatever trouble you go through, I have overcome it, and I will help you to overcome it. Listen, the trouble won't overcome you, you will always overcome the trouble because Jesus has overcome the world. Now somebody ought to be getting happy in this Pentecostal church this morning. Some people get saved and erroneously think that life is now going to be wonderful with no problems, a problem-free life. And then they become disappointed and confused when something bad happens, and then the devil shows up, especially if you're a young Christian, what, what, I mean that young in the Lord, and, and then you are, uh, you're, you're, you're fighting and you're wrestling and you're struggling. What's going on? I don't understand this. Uh, the devil will try to get you to doubt. He'll get you to try to quit on God. But, but let me just say this. You don't serve God because he makes life comfortable for you. Will he make it comfortable? Sometimes, yes. But that's not why you serve God. You serve God because you love him and you are fully committed to him. Good or bad, up or down, mountains or valleys. So just because you're saved does not mean that you are invulnerable or immune to life's struggles. And I just want to go through a little list here. I think that you will experience life's troubles from four particular sources. There can be more, but these are the four that I'm going to stress. The first one is just life. You just breathe and live, trouble's going to happen. Just because, look, the world we live in is broken and it's dysfunctional because of the curse of sin, 
And we live in this world. And so because of that, bad things can happen to good people. Bad things can happen to God's people. So sometimes you'll get sick. There are Christians that got the coronavirus and got sick, okay? Companies shut down or back down and lay off people. And sometimes that's you getting the pink slip. Your dog can get run over, okay? You can, you can have your fiance decide that she doesn't, want to get married and breaks up with you. You have to, you can have a fight with your wife on the way to church. Don't raise your hand if that happened this morning. The kids don't do well in school. Everybody else's child is doing good. Your child struggles. The HVAC at your house goes out. Bad things can happen. It's life. The second reason are poor decisions. Sometimes I just get myself in trouble, okay? And you can do this. You make a bad investment and lose money. It was just a poor decision. You buy a lemon car. That's bad, isn't it? All right, and, and you made a poor decision, didn't even know it. Uh, you knew better, but you confided in somebody who has a terrible track record of keeping secrets, and you told them anyway. And it didn't take them three minutes or three hours to get on the phone or the internet and post everything you just said and broke your confidence and create all kinds of problems. Okay, but you knew better. That was a poor decision on your part. Uh, you take on debt that surpasses your income. That's, that's your problem. That's your bad decision, okay? The third category is spiritual warfare. And there is a devil. He is real. There is a realm of devils and angels and God, the spiritual realm, and uh, Satan will resist you. Satan will attack you. Satan will, especially if you try to draw closer to God or simply live right, and he'll use who I call the puppets of the devil to try to cause trouble in your life, maybe start a rumor about you, bring division in your family or in a relationship. So we have to fight the devil. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil. So that means you have to fight him, but thank God he will flee from you. The fourth category is one that we don't talk about much, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on it this morning, is persecution. Persecution. This is trouble that comes for your faith in Jesus. It's it, it, 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Suffer, And I don't know if you've ever suffered persecution. Maybe you've done it and didn't realize it. Most of the time you do. But when people find out that you're saved and you're born again and you live right, they'll laugh at you. They'll make fun of you. They'll mock you. Uh, they'll call you names. They'll label you. You'll find out that they treat you different. It can affect your work. Sometimes you don't get a promotion because you're saved. You don't get an advancement. I've even known people who were fired because they live right. They wouldn't do under, they wouldn't do things that people wanted them to do that were underhanded and were uh, immoral, and so they got fired. Uh, I think I told you my father-in-law was working a job, and he just got fired because every day he went to work, and his boss was a sinner, and his boss got under conviction. And so he was tired of getting under conviction. He fired my father-in-law and said, you can't work for me anymore because he was tired of getting under conviction. When, when, when Jim was around and, and, and Jesus was shining through him, um, sometimes you can be physically attacked, for your faith, and there are people who've lost their lives 
in service to Christ. You know, your unnamed, uh, unnamed, unsaved spouse will uh, look at you and say, you think you're better than me, don't you? Because you're saved, you go to church. It's terrible when your own spouse persecutes you. You, you think you're holier than I am. You think you're a goody two-shoes. But there are people that have to live with that. That's a form of persecution. Your friends will ignore you. Um, you, don't, you. You don't get invited to special events. Those are trouble, troubles. Those, those are troubles that we have in our life. So I want to talk about persecution for just a little bit. Tribulation from persecution will do one of two things. It will either make you or break you. Make you or break you. Some people get saved and then they're persecuted for their newfound faith. And when that happens, one of two things happen. They either cave in and go back into sin or they take a stand for Christ and refuse to be pressured into ditching their newfound faith. You're gonna do one or the other. It will either make you or either, it will either break you. In Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Jesus said this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now that's crazy, isn't it? You're blessed if you're persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for living right, for serving Jesus, for being saved. Why? Or what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because if you are persecuted for living right, here's what Jesus is saying, that obviously Jesus is your king. God is your king. And so his rule and reign, you're part of that. There's no confusion, blurring of the lines, who you serve. See, everybody knows there's not an identity crisis. He went on to say, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. This is crazy. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. So when you get persecuted, for living for Jesus, what happens is God takes note and he marks it and when you get to heaven, you will get great rewards. And I don't think it's a Pez container of Mickey Mouse with some candy in it. It's gonna be something awesome, like you're gonna be the president of the United States or the mayor of Anderson or the head of the Federal Reserve Bank in the millennial reign of Christ. Are you hearing me today? If you take your stand for Jesus and take your licks, then God says you love me that much and you're that committed, I'm gonna make it worth it for you. By the way, people are watching your life and when they see you suffering for Jesus, it will inspire them to be saved too. It has a, and there's an inspirational factor when you suffer for Christ. So I'm going to say something that is crazy. Persecution is good for you. It's good for you. It tests your faith. It's good for you. It gives you an opportunity to stand up for Jesus. And I'm going to say another crazy thing. Everyone needs to feel the sting of persecution. You do. Everybody needs to feel the sting of persecution. And if you've never felt the sting of persecution, I feel sorry for you because you're lacking. Your faith has not been tested to the point where you have to look at a real live person in the eye and decide, am I gonna cave into this pressure, this mockery, this abuse, or I'm gonna stand and take it proudly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hit me with your best shot. You're not going to change my mind. You didn't save me. He did. 
I'm not going back to what you're in. You need what I got. What are you going to do? Everyone needs to. And let me just tell you this. After the first time, it stings when you first suffer persecution. It's not pleasant, okay? But after one or two, you get one or two of them under your belt, it has less effect on you. You, you just kind of like, all right, hit me with it. I'm used to it. Go ahead. Say it. Make fun. It's not going to touch me. Go ahead. Get it out of your system. It makes you more committed and certain to live for Jesus and serve Jesus than ever before in your life. And it adds value to your faith in Christ. When you suffer for the Lord, then it, it puts, it, it, it's a price on it, if you will. It, it suddenly makes this incredibly valuable, this service for Christ. And it's so valuable that you say, I'm not willing to let go of this or lose this or spend this for the world. I'm going to stand for Christ. And you may say, well, Pastor Chris, have you ever been persecuted? I have. I've been persecuted. Uh, I've been persecuted a lot of times for my faith in Jesus. But the most intense persecution that I ever face, and I think my mom and dad are watching, and this might be a revelation to them, was the four years that we lived in Detroit, Michigan. From the age of 10 to the age of 14, I experienced the worst persecution for my faith that I ever experienced in my life. The, the people that I, that I went to school with, those middle schoolers and the high schoolers that I went to school with, it was unbelievable, the pressure. When I told them that I was a Christian, I wouldn't do the things they wanted me to do. I wouldn't say the things they wanted me to say. I wouldn't get involved in the sinful things they wanted to. I, I suffered physical abuse. I suffered verbal abuse. I was called names. You, you don't know the extent. If anybody could have backslidden, turned their back on God, caved into pressure, I lived it. And yet for those four years of my life, I made a decision every day. It was literally every day of my life that I was going to live for Jesus in spite of the culture that I was in. I think I've told you this before, but in Troy High School, where I went to high school, which was a massive high school in Detroit, Michigan, I only knew one other born-again believer. One. And she was like three grades older than me, so I had no classes with her. I went to middle school and high school, the four years we were there, and not had one born-again believer every day when I went to school. All of you who went to high school around here, and you're in high school right now, students, and you know kids that go to church, and you have a lot of friends, that's the difference between the North and the South, is there are a lot of kids who are saved and go to school. I didn't have anybody for four years. And yet, I made up my mind. I laugh about it. I, I tell people I feared God and my daddy too much. Because <laughs> if I knew I backslid, my daddy would have whooped me, rightfully. And I, and I, and I love my daddy, and I love my, and I love my father, my heavenly daddy, too much that I didn't care what. And if, and if I sat here today and told you the things I could have gotten into that were illegal, Things that were immoral, illegal. My parents right now are things, right now are going. Wait till we see him the next time. We, he's going to fill in the blanks for us because there are things mom and dad don't know. The things that I could have got into that are scary for somebody who's 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years of age. That's why when I moved to South Carolina and went to Malden High School and graduated from there, I thought, man, these people are weird. That first week, I thought these Southern people are weird. What is wrong with these people? They're too nice. Everybody's nice. They go to church, and it took me about a week, and I came home my first week at Malden High School. I looked at Mom. I said, I think we died and went to heaven. I said, this ain't anything like Detroit. She said, no, honey, you ain't, you're not in Detroit anymore. Thank God. But when you suffer for Christ, it just once you get a couple under your belt, 
It's, it's, you just, you make up your mind, I'm going to live for Jesus. And it's all about being fully committed. I'm thinking of a story right now. I didn't tell in the first service, but I heard, I read a story about a, it's a true story about a woman in Africa, a missionary came to a nearby village and she went to that village and heard the gospel and got saved and Jesus gloriously saved her. Her husband was a mean man, just a wicked mean man. So she went home and told him what happened and he beat her viciously and told her, threatened her, don't you ever go back to that village, don't you go back to that preacher, don't you go back to those Christians. And uh, next time he was there, she went. She said, I can't do that, I've got to go. And she went to hear the gospel. And on the way back, he knew it, on the way back, he jumped out of the bushes, was waiting on her, and beat her within an inch of her life, and left her laying on the side of the road. And with hatred steaming out of him, you know, her, his hands bloody where he's beat her. He says, what does your Jesus do for you now? And that new Christian, this new who's fallen in love with Jesus, who's now being viciously persecuted by her husband, looked up at him and says, he helps me to forgive you. She had learned about it that quick. She said, I'll tell you what he does for me. He helps me to forgive you. And her husband just threw his hands up and didn't know what to do with that and left her laying on the side of the road. I'm telling you, when you suffer for Christ, it'll make you or break you. Now, when you suffer in any fashion, here's what I've learned. God will either bring you out or bring you through. Now, we all like God to bring us out, right? We want the, we want the deliverance. We want the Red Sea crossing God. Okay, they're at the Red Sea, Moses and the children of Israel, desert to the left, desert for that way. The Red Sea in front, here comes Pharaoh's army, bearing down to defeat them and enslave them. That's trouble with a capital T. Few people know where that came from, but anyway, never mind. And, and so that's trouble. Moses calls out, God, we need help. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea, and they cross through. He makes a way gets them out. They go through the other side and Pharaoh's army tries to follow and their wheels get bogged in the mud and then the water comes flooding in and kills them and they're dancing on the shore and they're singing songs and shaking tambourines and shouting everywhere and having a big time because God brought them out. We like that God, don't we? The bring me out God. But sometimes God doesn't bring you out. Sometimes God brings you through. Sometimes he's the Daniel in the lion's den God. Daniel's just praying in his house, minding his own business, when these persecutors see him, they've set him up, go to the king who's made a law that you can't pray to any other God but him, and now Daniel's broken the law, doing nothing but praying to God. They arrest him, they, the, the, the decree is you're thrown into a lion's den. Now, I don't know how many's in there, could be 10, 20, these are big, vicious lions, okay? These aren't kitty cats. They are hungry, they are strong, they are powerful. And they take, you know how old Daniel was, by the way, in the Daniel and the lion's den story? He was in his 80s. They took an old man and threw him in a lion's den. Who does that? I mean, he's an old dude. And they throw him in a bunch, with a bunch of lions. He's dead meat. And so they throw him in there. There's no getting out. And Daniel's dead. And I, you know, if you think through the stories of the Bible, it can get graphic because what those lions would have done, they would have pounced on him, swatted him with those powerful paws, broke his bones, 
they would have grabbed him around the neck like they do with a gazelle and drug him across the floor. They would have started ripping him alive. They would have ripped him apart and fed on him. That's graphic, isn't it? But that's what would have happened in the lion's den. Put him a horrible death. But God doesn't get him out. He takes him through. And God keeps the lions from attacking Daniel. And I have always seen these pictures. I've seen, it's, almost like, it's almost like the lions got tame. And they're all just laying there, and Daniel's laying up on one of them like a big kitty cat, you know, sleeping that night. That's the pictures I've seen. I don't think it happened that way. I think they were still vicious, wild lions. And I think Daniel was over in a corner praying, crying out to God. And all night, 10, 15 big giant lions, male lions with the manes. You ever seen them when they do this? They go back and forth. And they're just like the devil goes about like a roaring lion. They may have roared at him. And they kept trying to get to him. And in their little teeny tiny lion brain, they're pacing back and forth, and they're going, I want to eat you so bad. I want you so bad. I need a midnight snack, and you're it, old man. But for whatever reason, in my little peeny, teeny tiny, peeny, pea-sized brain, I can't get to you. I don't know why. There's a line right there that I can't cross. I can't get to And all night, they just went back and forth. They went back and forth, little pea-sized brain. They can't figure it out, but they're hungry, and they want them, and they're going back and forth. Listen. Minute by minute. Don't you think that was the longest night of his life? Minute by minute. Not hour, but minute by minute. He's over in the corner of a lion's den praying, saying, God, you got to get me through this. God, you got to get me through this. God, get me through this. I don't want to be here. Get me. And he's, God's not getting him out. He's having to go through it. Longest night of his life. The next morning, the sun rises up. The king gets up early. He goes over there. Daniel, did the God you serve did he deliver you? Was he able? Old king, 80-year-old, I mean, Daniel, old 80-year-old Daniel, I said, king, the God I serve heard my prayers and he shut the mouths of the lions. I'm still alive. And God was bringing him through. And the king said, get him out of there. And they got Daniel out of there. I don't know how they got him out and kept the lions at bay, but they got Daniel out and God brought him through. The great part of that story is those, those aggravating Nuts that set him up. The king said, get them. And they brought them and he threw them in there. And when he threw them in there, God let the line go. The line that held the lions back got moved. And as they didn't even hit the floor and the lions pounced on them and tore them to pieces and ate them alive. Now that's graphic, but it's the Bible. We need to stop sanitizing the Bible. That's what happened. By the way, when you persecute somebody, Jesus takes it personally. Don't you remember what he told Paul? He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest me? He was persecuting the church, but Jesus took it personally. So anytime you touch God's child, you better be careful because you're messing with Jesus. Okay, I just thought I'd throw that in there. That wasn't in my notes. So sometimes God will bring you out, sometimes God will bring you through. So just to close this message, what should you do? What should you do when you're in a time of trouble in your life? Whether it's persecution or just life or bad decision or you're in spiritual warfare, anything else. What should you do when faced with the tribulations that we have to go through on our way to heaven? Here's the first thing you should do. You should pray. You should pray. Daniel prayed. 
Time and again, you see people in the Bible that they prayed. Um, my friend Mark Linhart, I need to give him credit. I follow Mark on Twitter. And Mark tweeted something this week, and I saw it, and I said, man, I need to direct message Mark and tell him, thank you, you're helping me in my sermon this week. Mark, and evidently he must have been reading or studying the same thing. I don't know what he's preaching. He might be preaching something similar at his church. But Mark tweeted this, and basically this is what he said. He said, the early church prayed consistently for three things, boldness, patience, and endurance. Read the book of Acts, boldness, patience, and endurance. And he's right. They said, Lord, give me boldness. Give us boldness to stand for Christ and say we belong to Jesus. We're born again no matter what people say. And then, Lord, give us patience because people are going to come against us and help us to just endure. And then give us endurance when we go through troubles and trials. Help us to press through and go through it, God, and not give in. And I think that's something that every one of us can pray. Whether, whether your trial is troubles, just something in life, you still say, God, help me to be bold and not let this thing get me down. Just stand strong for you. And then, Lord, give me patience. The Bible says weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It'll end. God will bring you through. And then, Lord, help me to endure. And, and I think endurance is help me not to shipwreck my faith or, or throw in the towel or give in. But, God, help me to just keep trusting you all the way through this. And when I come out the other side, I'll be able to have a testimony. How many know you don't have a testimony until you have a test? Okay, so you just, you go through the trouble, you go through the trial, God, just bring me through. By the way, I love to preach this, and, and I've preached this before, but some of you are new. Um, there are nine gifts of this, are fruit of the Spirit. They're the characteristics of Jesus. We should have them in our lives, the nine fruit, fruit of the Spirit, and one of them is long-suffering or patient endurance. And what I tell people is, you have to go through trouble to get that gift, because how can you have patient endurance <laughs> if you don't have to endure something. Because I don't like having trouble in my life. Yeah, but it's through the troubling times that Jesus can actually mold you and shape you to help you to just say, you know what, I'm gonna try, tr we're gonna sing this in a Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his. See, so just through it, I'm learning. There's a school there's a school where you learn just when times get rough, I don't, I don't quit on God. He didn't quit on me. I'm not quitting on him. I'm just going to keep serving him. So you, you got to pray. The second thing is, is you got to trust God. You don't bail out on God. Tough times will make you either run from God or run to God. And I always try to tell people, run to God. And one of the ways you trust God is you read his word. That's why when you're going through troubling times, get in the word. Get in the word and, and read God's promises, and it will bolster your confidence in God. And then here's the last one. Come to church. If you're having trouble, come to church. You know, I've seen people have trouble in their life. The first thing they do is they stop coming to church. That's the dumbest thing you could ever do. Get to church. Here's why. Asaph, everybody thinks David wrote all the Psalms. He didn't. There was a guy named Asaph who wrote Psalm 73, and here's what he said. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and... Uh, Wash my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued. See, he's in trouble. Chastened every morning. He's going through these troublesome times. But this is what he said. When I thought how to uh, understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. And it is at church that you get a clear perspective 
that God is in control. God is in charge and your situation won't last forever and that God will bring you out or bring you through and everything is gonna be all right and you can make it and you can endure by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether it's through a song or the preaching or just the presence of God, when you're going through trouble, get to church. And if you're feeling like you're struggling, get to church, you will leave this place saying, everything's gonna be all right. God's on the throne and I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it through. I want you to stand with me this morning. Paul was beaten three times with rods shipwrecked, stoned, as we read. Five times he was beaten by the Jews, and they had a law where when you scourge somebody, whipped them, you could only whip them 39 times. So you, would, you couldn't do it, you had 40 minus one. That happened to him five times, do the math. 39 times five is 45, what is it, 165 times? Am I doing my math right? 165 stripes, that's crazy. He was threatened. He had assassinations attempts on his life. People, people in the church, carnal people slandered him, falsely accused him. He just kept living for Jesus. Eventually, they chopped his head off. Rome, Rome chopped his head off. And Paul never quit on God. Never, matter of fact, he stood firm and talked about Jesus everywhere he went. He said, he gave everything for me. Paul said, I'm gonna give everything for him. And that's the way God wants you to be. He wants you to have the kind of faith and the kind of boldness that says no matter what my problem is in life, just because I'm going through a hard time does not mean that God has forsaken me and God's not real, God's not doing his job, like God's got a job for you. God's a failure. Thus, I quit on God. I'm done with God. No. What you do is you say, just because I'm going through troubles doesn't mean there's no God or all that stuff. What it means, I'm going through trouble. But thank God I got Jesus. Thank God I got a rock I can lean on. Thank God I can run to his name. Thank God the God that brought me through everything else is gonna take me through this. And everything's gonna be all right. And so this morning, I don't know what kind of place you're in. You may have come here today and say, Pastor, don't really have any trouble in my life. Good for you, keep living. Just keep living, because it finds us. And when it does, you want to be ready and say, I'm going to trust Jesus. So I want you to come to this altar, everybody in this place. And when you get down here, if you're having trouble in your life, your difficulty, I want you to start praying. And I want you to ask God. Say, God, I need your help. Come on. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.